Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, everyone. My name is Jenny. I'm a compulsive eater, a sugar addict, an atheist, and a feminist, and all these things play a part in my program. Good morning. And this is my story and does not represent OA as a whole. I came into OA about four and a half years ago at age 56, and I was at my worst shape ever, mentally and physically. I had plantar's fasciitis, chronic back pain, high cholesterol. I was a borderline diabetic. I was lethargic and depressed a lot of the time. And I really felt like I was killing myself with sugar. I was just caught in the grips of having to have sugar every day. My addiction included about a pound of chocolate a day. It was crazy. And I just felt like I could not escape that grip. And it's how I dealt with all of my anxieties, my fears, and even my joys. And since coming into OA, I've maintained a 45 pound weight loss. But most importantly, I've regained my sanity around food and um, around my life. And also, some of my wildest dreams have come true. I had a wonderful affair with a hot younger woman. I was able to be present when my mother was dying and she was someone that I had a very difficult time with. She was a narcissist and I was able to be kind and loving with her. I retired, I've started a local progressive postcarding group that has 600 members now. I started to exercise regularly. My son's been launched off to college and I've been traveling a lot and well, not in the last four months, but um, I haven't had to live with that embarrassment of trying to squeeze into an airplane seat and trying to get the seatbelt to work. Um, I'm dating and I can finally wear regular size clothes. So I can attest to some of the wonderful positive things that have come out of this program. So I really like it when people share when they pass around books of their pictures and I have never put one together, but I do have some pictures I wanna show via screen and I know we're recording this so I'll spend a little bit of a moment just describing what's going on there. This first picture is me age two, my grandfather showing me the candy bowl. Next picture I'm showing my baby sister the candy bowl. Next picture I'm age seven, I'm with my bicycle and had a healthy size kid body. I had asthma growing up and in those days they didn't think that kids should be out huffing and puffing with exercise that that would bring on an asthma attack so I really didn't have a lot of physical activity when I was a kid. This is me age 14 and about a week after this picture was taken my mom got the prints back from the drugstore and she showed me the picture and she says look at that gut. And that was the first time I became really aware of my body. And ever since then, I considered myself fat. Here I am on the couch. I like these boots a lot. But even in this picture, I thought I was fat. This is me in college with my college roommate who became a born-again Christian and had to drop her friendship with me because I was gay. And this kind of put the nail in the coffin as far as how I felt about religion and about God. This is me at age 26. 
I had just moved in with my first girlfriend. This is me at age 34, broke up with that girlfriend, started putting on weight. And this is when my sugar addiction really kicked in. I kept dealing with all my sadness by eating lots of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and lots of candy. And I started a whole practice at that point of that just, just how I dealt with all life's highs and lows. So it came a little later in life for me, but the sugar addiction came from my childhood. This is me, age 36. I was in another relationship and my girlfriend and I went to Weight Watchers together. We lost weight and it was really fun because we were cooking meals together and we saved up all our points on Weight Watchers so that we could go out on Friday nights to get a piece of chocolate cake. So sugar was just my, still my addiction. This is me right before I came into OA, about three months before where I was at the height of my sugar addiction and the height of my despair, even though I'm smiling. And this was the heaviest that I had ever been. I forgot to say that I had been in another diet earlier called the HCG diet, where you eat only 500 calories a day and you're spraying this plant-based hormone under your tongue, which is supposed to recalibrate your entire system so you don't have cravings. And of course, that did not work. I gained all my weight back within two years. And pretty soon after I ended that diet, I started losing my hair too. It didn't all fall out, but uh, it was pretty alarming. And this is me last Thanksgiving. I've lost some weight since then, but um, more just getting more happy. I just saw this uh, on some, I think it was on the news or something, but anyway, it's the Atlanta mall during the pandemic. And it's a picture of a very skinny young woman with her face mask pulled down, eating a bowl of candy and it says, it's sugar, nothing comes between me and my candy. And that's, to me, the epitomizes my uh, addiction with sugar. Let's see, I'll stop screen sharing and move on. So today I'm gonna talk a little bit about the nine tools. I don't know if I'll get to all of them or not, but I will try. So meetings are like, it was the most important thing for me then and now. I'd heard about OA about 20 years ago, but as an atheist, I felt like I really couldn't find recovery in 12-step programs. Luckily for me, my father, I wasn't lucky, but he was an alcoholic, and he was also not religious, but he found recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. He'd been dead for many years before I came into OA, but I do consider him to be the person who 12-stepped me, and I'm really grateful for his example. So when I was finally so desperate for help, the day I checked the OA website, I found a meeting I could go to that night after work. It turned out to be held in a church in this tiny room, and people were passing around a book, reading a story about an alcoholic who became sober because he asked God to help him. A male God. And when the meeting was over, I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. Fortunately, a woman ran up to me, and she said, you know, you should try at least five other meetings before you decide whether OA is right for you. And I was so desperate that I clung on to that advice, and I did find more meetings that were more suited for me. This meeting is, was one of them. It's one of my home meetings, and I really love it. I love the people here, and I just really like the format of hearing a speaker every week. It gives me 
um, a lot of strength and courage and hope when I listen to other people's stories. The other meetings that are really important for me are the Freethinker meetings. And it turns out we were the, f the first two registered atheist agnostic meetings in OA. I can't believe out of 1,000 meetings that would be true. Now, will we have five meetings across the United States? But it's been a place where I've been able to understand how to make OA work for me. And the Freethinkers meeting welcomes everyone, atheist, agnostic, spiritual, religious, or questioning. Everyone is encouraged to express their beliefs, doubts, or disbeliefs, and to share their own personal form of spiritual experience. And they don't use patriarchal or religious language. So as a feminist and an atheist, I felt like I could find a home. For me, I need to go to three meetings a week in order to stay sane. And I also, with Zoom, I've really enjoyed just dropping in on other meetings across the United States. The next thing that was important for me, the next tool, is the plan of eating. And in the beginning, I went on the three meals a day with two snacks. And I had the snacks as an excuse to binge if I needed to. Um, luckily, I grew out of that pretty quickly and started not having a snack unless I was going to not eat dinner until after like eight o'clock at night, then I would have a, a latte with some milk in the afternoon. And the most important thing for my eating plan is that I refrain from recreational foods. And that covers like all the sugars and candies and anything with any kind of sweetener or fake sweetener. I, I just can't stop eating those foods. I can't eat popcorn, I can't eat chips. So I've just cut those out of my food plan entirely. I also started making sure that I had 20 grams of protein in every meal because I found that I, it helped me get from breakfast to lunch and lunch to dinner without really being hungry. So over time, over my four and a half years, I've definitely been tweaking my food plan. And uh, that is something you, know, you can keep doing. It doesn't have to be one rigid thing that you find and you, know, you stick to for the rest of your life. Another helpful practice around a plan of eating for me has been to send my food to my sponsor, and I was really resistant and reluctant to do this, and I just started doing it in January, so it took me four years to get ready, and um, it really keeps me honest about what I'm eating and keeps me from taking that little handful of nuts, you know, in between meals, um, and right now I'm working on my portion size, and I'm considering I'm probably never gonna drop flour, but I wanna limit it in my life. Another tool that I really like is sponsorship. And when I came into OA, the first person that I approached was someone that I just really respected. She was funny, she had a lot of wisdom. And uh, she said, no, I'm sorry, I can't work with you. I have four sponsors already, sponsees already, but I would be willing to you know, have phone calls with you. So then I needed to look for someone else. And the woman that I approached had only been through the first three steps. She was willing to sponsor me to work on my first three steps, which is really great because you don't need to be perfect to be able to be a sponsor. You know, you can just sponsor up to the level that you've completed. And I really appreciated that. And I sent, we worked once a week on questions for the steps and I sent her 10 daily gratitudes a day. Um, so when I was done though, with step three, I was really like kind of depressed and like, now what am I going to do? I'm going to have to find another sponsor. But then that original woman came up to me and said, you know, I would be willing to, um, work with you on steps four and five, 
And I was really grateful, but I'm like, oh, this problem is just going to you know, do steps four and five, and I'll have to do this all over again to find somebody new. But I was really glad to work with her. And steps four and five are really hard and take a really long time. So um, by the time we were done with them, she decided to adopt me. So I finally, I had my lifetime sponsor. And um, I'm working the steps again, uh, going through the second time I'm on step four. I have two sponsees and we meet by phone once a week and we read uh, OA um, that we've been reading the OA abstinence book as well as reading the 12 and 12. And that sort of goes into literature. And I really have a hard time with the OA literature. It doesn't resonate with me. A lot of the information though is really, really good. And I feel like everybody needs to read it. I've read the OA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions at least eight times. I read it every time I go through steps with my sponsor and every time I go through the steps myself. Um, but I really have to filter what I'm reading. And the first time I went through it, I like X'd out every time I saw the word God and every time I saw the word he. And um, somehow just being angry at that book just kind of helped me get through it. With my sponsor, I do, we do read other 12-step material, non-secular material, and that's also really helped me a lot. You know, we can be in OA and focus on the literature, but you can also use outside literature to help you with your program. Um, and I'm currently in a step discussion group that's a secular step discussion group. And uh, I've been in a 12-stepping, a, a like your inner child group. So there's other kinds of groups. Oh, thank you. All right. So I'm just gonna have to wrap up really quickly, I guess. Another tool I find really extremely helpful is writing. And it helps me get in tune with my higher self. I, I get quiet when I'm writing. Things start pouring out of me that I don't expect. And I really learn about myself. Um, I have a, one of my meetings is a writing meeting. So I do that at least once a week. And then I write on my own several times a week and then of course I'm doing step work so I'm writing for my sponsor but at this point anytime when I'm feeling out of sorts I just start writing and it helps me figure out what's going on the other tool that I really is important to me is service and that keeps me connected with the program and with the fellows um, I've made a lot of friends here and a lot of that was because you know, I met them doing service. I've been our intergroup uh, web editor for two years. I've been treasurer at all my meetings, speaker getter, newcomer greeter, uh, Zoom moderator. And uh, another service that I'm doing right now, which is kind of invisible, but maybe seen later, is that I'm working with other secular OA people across the United States that I've met through Zoom to start working on resources to help non-religious people, you know, work the program. It, I really feel like it's been something that's been neglected by OA. And uh, let's see. Oh, action plan is another tool. Um, I always try and think ahead when I'm traveling or if I'm going to a potluck or I'm going to a holiday buffet, like how am I going to handle this? Uh, just so having that plan in my mind ahead of time really helps me. And with traveling, uh, I went to the Arctic Circle in Sweden with my son a couple of years ago while I was in OA. And it was a town of 150 people, one restaurant in the hotel, and I was just really worried about my food. So I ended up packing a lot of stuff in my suitcase and just taking it and eating there. Um, and it worked out okay. Telephone is another tool of the plan. And 
Um, I'm not that good at it. It's hard being the weekly caller. I try and challenge myself to volunteer like every few months to do that. But I really do try and reach out to fellows that I haven't heard from in a while, that people that I have, you know, a connection with just to see what's going on or people that I have heard from just to see how they are. And I have a few um, weekly calls with fellows that it's just really helpful for me to hear how they're doing with their program and to be able to talk about how I'm doing in mine. And anonymity is the last tool. I have to say, I'm kind of confused. I'm not sure how that helps me with my abstinence, but it is a safe place for me. It makes knowing that I can be in OA and that, you know, people aren't going to gossip about what I say. It's just knowing that this is a safe place makes it safe for me to, to be here. So um, anyway, I just want to thank you all for letting me speak today. And uh, for newcomers, there's this really great brochure. It's pink now. It's called Where Do I Start? And it's got a bunch of stuff about the tools in it. And it says, I meant to read this earlier, the tools of recovery. We use tools, a plan of eating, sponsorship, meetings, telephone, writing, literature, anonymity, service, and action plan to help us achieve and maintain abstinence and recover from our disease. So anyway, I know I've kind of like maybe trash talked a little bit about OA, but I really do love this program and I'm really committed to it. So thank you for letting me speak today. <laughs>